and welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. oh man, they are sounding kind of weak tonight. Oh, well, welcome. Um, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we, together, are the Dice Men who form the Dice Are Screaming podcast. So welcome. It's a Friday edition, so that means the weekend's nigh upon us. Oh, yeah, creeping up on us. Oh. Having planning to have its way with our lifeless corpses when it's done with us. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> I, I am all in anticipation. Ah, uh, well, what anticipation? You know, yeah. what price? What price anticipation, indeed. Yeah, you got to love it. Uh, the weekend is almost upon us, with replete with gaming. Yep. Festivities left and right, so we're looking forward to that. Yeah, and uh, hopefully no snow this weekend, so here in Michigan. Um, I was told a dirty rumor that the sun might come out from behind the clouds, but, you know, I, I just assumed that this is what it's like to live in Seattle. So. Yeah. <laughs> Rain and clouds. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much fine. The, the sun comes out and you wonder what you did wrong. Yeah. We um, have angered the gods. What is this thing? It won't go away. It's warm and bright. Ah, it hurts my flannel. <laughs> oh, right in the flannel. Oh. <laughs> yep. So, uh, we have some topic for you tonight. Uh, some much-anticipated topic, too, but we're going to keep a uh, tight lid on that until we are done with some call-ins. Yes, we're, we're going to, you know, hold off on, on the, the real fun, uh, because that's, that's the way we treat you. That's the way we abuse our listeners. We drag it all out. We're not gonna not gonna get to the good stuff until a little later. You can expect no less from the unladen swallow of gaming podcasts. Unladen swallow. African or European? I I, I don't know. I, ah! <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Well, we've started the podcast with off right with an obligatory Monty Python reference. Yeah, I felt like that was a good direction to go. Yeah, me too. So. Joe Richter has some thoughts to share with us, so we'll send Joe your way. Take it away, Joe. What's up, boys? It's Joe Richter calling to rattle your cage again. Uh, I am super stoked on your episode, your upcoming episode on Merp. I can't wait. Um, I'm actually using... Uh, part of the castle layout from the back of the core MERP rulebook in our current campaign. Uh, so I'm super excited to hear what y'all have to say about MERP. Uh, I'm also listening to your uh, episode on evil campaigns. And yeah, while I don't think there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with them, I personally just don't see the point of them. Uh, they're a lot of extra work for the dungeon master to keep the party together and make sure things don't go too crazy and this and that for really not that much reward. Uh, but you guys keep doing it and doing it well, and I'll talk to you again. Peace out. Yep, it's me again. What's up, dudes? So I think my main beef with evil campaigns is that I don't want to see my players be jerks. I like my players. I don't like jerks. And so I don't want to see my players be jerks. Um, I think the closest thing to an evil campaign I would probably be interested in running is something along the lines of the Black Company novels, which are super dope. I think you guys have talked about them before. But, you know, like you're a mercenary group. You happen to be working for 
an evil overlord or whatever and then dealing with those moral dilemmas that come up then um you don't always have to be good but you don't have to be evil uh keep up the great work dudes peace out all right thanks for that joe um yeah uh, thanks for rattling our cage we always appreciate it and especially really digging these two-parters so it allows you to get a little bit more meat on the subject Yes, it actually gets a chance to get the words out, you know, frame the right questions, which I cannot disagree, uh, you know, cannot stress enough that evil campaigns are tougher to run. Now, it does involve player trust. You really got to be playing with a team you trust to stay on point, because if you let those worst impulses out of the box unrestrained, it can just be a crap show. It is just nothing that... Nothing stings like having to watch it devolve completely. Uh, so a lot of caution does have to be used. It can be rewarding to a DM to place radically different types of challenges in front of players. I mean, you know, in terms of... I, I find it very rewarding to scheme new schemes and hatch new ideas and... Uh, you know, play from a different perspective. Uh, you know, playing as, instead of the evil monsters, it is a treat for the DM to play as the good heroes. Whether you make the good heroes bumbling, hypocritical <laughs> fiends, uh, you know, in sheep's clothing, or you make them stalwart, steadfast guardians of law and order who are radically opposed to the player characters. You can do either or. Uh, but it's nice to break out and do something different. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I enjoy running an evil campaign once in a while, but it is a lot of work, and oh, I think it's uh, yeah. rewarding. I don't really think it's too much more work than for a, a campaign, say, uh, set in an alternate fantasy setting, well, like uh, an aerial campaign or undersea area. does take a bit of a head shift, though. Yes, yeah. and you have to look at it from different perspectives than normally you would. For instance, you stock a dungeon with monsters that are normally going to be uh, against the player characters. In this case, you know, uh, you look at the fact that Undead could be uh, suborned by the evil clerics or uh, taken... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm running this show now. Yep. It's my ghoul pack, not yours. Right, and, you know, also wheeling and dealing with monsters. But, again, it's each your own. I, I believe that uh, you were right on point there that the probably the amoral campaign is probably the least stressful. Oh yeah, having yeah. a much more mercenary aspect to things where the players are obligated to accomplish tasks that are morally gray. Uh, you know, in that, and we may not be evil, but uh, you know, taking down a major city, uh, laying siege to a place, or using subterfuge to undermine them uh, before an invasion. You know, mercenary-type tasks, uh, they call for a lot of... <clears throat> moral uh, ambiguity? Yeah, moral ambiguity. You, you've got to be in that neutral state of mind. Like, I don't think what we're doing is very nice. <laughs> You'd be right. <laughs> yeah, you you, uh, you understand the parameters of this mission perfectly. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see you're on board. So, yeah, um, the, the Black Company series we did talk about, that makes an excellent uh, foray into military fantasy campaign, which is kind of another subgenre that's rarely touched on, but it, it's out there. 
in the literary form. So I yes. appreciate that. Yeah, um, Black Company included. Yeah, I really like those books. So, um, as far as anticipation, well, we've kept you in stitches long enough. Uh, yep. Yeah. Tonight we're going to talk about Middle Earth role playing. Now uh, we're going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit for some future stuff. But coming up here, we're going to do an entire episode on Token. Maybe a two-parter. Uh, yes, this will be, you know, a, a big nod towards what we consider the elephant in the room. Uh, right. We haven't done it before. We were kind of saving it because, I mean, this this one, it's another one of our love letters. It's going to be the same way we, we treated Conan, uh, you know, with great reverence and affection. Yeah, and there's a lot that went into making a D and D, and Token is obviously a big part of it, but he's not the soul. But certainly not the end all and be all. We want to treat uh, Token. And there's a movie coming up here about it, so uh, that'll be fun uh, mm. to ex- uh, probably extrapolate upon after it's released. But uh, we will just be talking tonight about the Middle Earth, Earth role playing and its various incarnations throughout uh, game systems and uh, its effect. So uh, we're going to go for a quick break, and we'll be right back after that. So stick around. All right, and we're back. 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 (laughs) After our sponsors have uh, gotten their little uh, opportunity to uh, have a word in edgewise, which is a thing we're actually proud of because... We really enjoy podcasting via Anchor FM. It has been an enormous pleasure. So yeah, check that out. And now into the topic. Middle Earth role-playing. Wow. That goes back a ways. I mean, um, we're going to start right at the beginning where it all uh, really began out of wargaming. And uh, the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, had been around for probably about a decade or two, depending on how... Well oh, read you were? Yeah, in the United States, anyway. Uh, it, it, uh, obviously, it was uh, published... Or I believe it was The Hobbit that was published at the end of the 1930s. Yeah, right. Uh, in England, mind you. It had not yet made the huge jump to the American market uh, that proceeded to happen about, oh, 20 years later. Uh, but it was that big jump to the American market 20 years later, as the Lord of the Rings began to be parceled out in tidbits that captured the imaginations of a few wargamers of a somewhat younger generation. Yeah, the uh, stalwarts of wargaming were pretty much uh, fascinated with Napoleonics, uh, various medieval and Dark Ages type scenarios. Uh, As well as Civil War uh, reenactment, uh, Revolutionary War reenactment, you know, via miniature gaming. Right. Uh, These were you know, the, the standbys, these were the go-to conflicts with some of the most famous and well-covered battles. But into the mix came a bunch of upstart young'uns. Yep, who would rename their Burgundian and the Lanschkinecks as orcs and, uh, <laughs> you know, the winged hussars as riders of Rohan and all that. And uh, slowly they began to take over tabletops. And, uh, of course, Chainmail uh, had a big nod to things like ants. Yes. And Ring Race and all that, uh, along with Evil High Priest, the EHP so, abbreviation. Yeah, before uh, what we think of as D&D had even come into its fore, Middle-Earth role-playing, uh, before it was a formalized game named so, uh, it had already made its mark. 
in the wargaming world. It had already, it, it was kind of the key that opened the lock. It was the yeah. moment of like transformation, that all these imaginations were on fire with uh, the, well, the rich history from the books. Yeah, the, it came with almost a, a, such a detailed and florid, did I use that word right? Yeah. yeah florid uh, backdrop that almost begged a historical uh, recreation, like uh, the Siege of Gondor, Minas Tirith, however you want to say it, and as well as the uh, Battle of the Five Armies, classically at the end of Hobbit. Yeah, another, I mean, what war gamer worth their salt would not be tempted by a Battle of Five Armies? It literally just cries out to the war gamer's soul and says, no, you totally have to do this. Yeah, so you had, you know, a large following already. So it was kind of pre-built into the, we're just going to say it, uh, the aspect of D&D role-playing. Now, of course, we're talking specifically about Middle-earth role-playing, and with that starts with Iron Crown Enterprises. They managed to get the license from the token estate and uh, were able to start publishing rules. Now, they used a form, uh, a kind of a role master light, if you will. Yes, uh, Perhaps, you know, many people considered Rollmaster proper to be a little bit heavy-handed in terms of mechanics. Uh, yeah. You know, very... <laughs> master is not a uh, wrongfully used term. It, you really had to put your homework time in to, to get the hang of Rollmaster. But Iron Crown Enterprises, they, they put it together. And I remember the black-and-white print ads in early Dragon magazines. Yeah. Uh, you know, on, on off-pages, where uh, there they'd be. Uh, Iron Crown Enterprises, yeah. Middle-Earth role-playing. And it was a beautiful sight, because it, it, it there was scarcely a gamer playing who hadn't at least heard of Lord of the Rings, and I would hazard a guess that the majority had at least read it uh, at that point. So... Having the opportunity to be able to play in that realm, oh, it, it was just haunting. I, you know, yeah, and you know, literally just to crank this. up the Russian Led Zeppelin and let's tear into it. Um, yeah, the uh, the rules were light, but they were still uh, quite comprehensive. Not to dismiss it at all, but uh, you know, the supplements that later came out also explored the rule of the world of Token in a way that hadn't been done before. I mean, there had been the books of the Similarian and the maps of Middle-earth and all that that had given uh, us a glimpse into that area, but these really took it into a new realm. They did detail. their homework. Uh, they did their homework, they culled the books and the research material, and they deployed it in the game setting. Now, am I correct in that the original setting, when it was released, was uh, kind of post-Hobbit, pre-Lord of the Rings? It was... Um, that was kind of where it was at, but it was never really firmly set. Oh. You could play All it throughout right. the various ages. And, of course, Middle-earth itself is a world that is winding down. Oh, and that, well, yeah, that, I actually remember now that that was the era in which we chose to play. So I, it's kind of firmly associated in my mind with uh, Middle-earth role-playing permanently. It's yeah, still... we were a little bit in the early Third Age, right after the, uh, War of the first War of the Rings. And, uh, you know, the rise of Amgar and the Witch King, where your Lake, Doughty Lakeman lost his head. 
Uh, yeah, well, you know, do not call the Witch King the Chicken Wing of Hangnail. Yeah, Witch King of Amnigar. Ang Angmar. Yeah. He was in no mood for that kind of back sass. Uh, so a prompt beheading was mine. I enjoyed every minute of it, though. No regrets. None. Not even a little. Yeah, and you had a multitude of races to play from, besides just elves and dwarves and... Uh, Oh, yeah, the peoples of various nations were all statted out. Yep, and, uh, you know, men of the West and uh, men of the East were even uh, covered in all these supplements. But you had a rich history to play from, including Corsairs and uh, other types. And, of course, you know, the, the farther you ranged a field of the scope of the books, the more you were off kind of on your own. So that was an inviting thing, Um you also had kind of a, there was a kind of limit. Um, some people complain that there aren't gods in, uh, or the typical roles for gods in Middle-earth because, you know, there's the one god who's kind of not there, doesn't really, he created everything and then just kind of left it to his servants. But they are the kind of classical pantheon that you can pull from. And if you delve into the lore of Middle-earth or the Similarian and uh, some of the supplements, of course, you can grasp the uh, the effect that they kind of are like unto-themselves gods. And I use the uh, Jolly Blackburn term, gods, G-A-W-D, gods. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you get the references, and uh, there's many... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, an, it's a noteworthy thing that uh, Middle-earth role-playing does not have your archetypal cleric class. Okay. Yeah, they have an animist. It is, it is based truly upon uh, the writings of Tolkien, unlike D&D, which certainly took inspiration from Tolkien, but was not in any way directly related to it. It did not go in the same direction at all. Now, uh, Middle-earth role-playing... Uh, has the high honor of having been the first game to come out that was truly as in line with the original setting as was possible. Right, and, you know, you cleave to a different kind of ideal in Token, that it wasn't necessarily about looting and killing things. It was about exploring, and a little bit of danger, of course, with that, and rewards, but, you know... Um, like those three trolls that those dwarves knocked over. I mean, geez, get away DM. I mean, like three artifact weapons and a suit of mithril chain, you know, just laying out in the middle of nowhere. Yep, just, just you know, falling into their laps. Then uh, what kind of deal is that? You didn't even have to fight them properly. You yeah, know, I know. Just got conned by a hobbit into arguing until they, you know, were hit by the sun. Now, uh... <clears throat> There are dangers in Middle-earth that have nothing to do with the greater plots, that if you're traveling in the less populated places of the world, uh, there are critters that uh, stalk the night fantastic, not to mention mountain ranges filled with orcs and goblins. And, yep. uh, of course, uh, you know, barrow whites and yep. things of that ilk, uh, things twisted and turned to evil uh, under the influence of Sauron. It, you know, darkness hasn't necessarily cast its shadow across the entire land, but uh, in the quiet places, there are little corners where mm -hmm. the shadows still hold sway. Uh, shadows are allowed to creep back into the world. Yeah, and that was the world of Middle-earth role-playing. It, it had 
as much potential as you chose to put into it. And it was not necessarily, we're going to go bash some stuff and take the loot off its corpses. It was very much more, uh, you know, there are unknown things out there. There, there are plots afoot. Uh, there are allegiances being formed. And you, you're in the middle of them. Which I, I think sets it apart a little from what we think of as traditional fantasy wargaming. Uh, which was very much the, we're going to go in a hole in the ground, and we're going to knock things heads together until we come out of there with some spare change. Yeah, the Mines of Moria was just a mega dungeon. Yeah, say it, right? Yeah. And yeah. You watch out for that boss fight in the basement. Oh, yeah, that Balrog in the 17th level. Woo! <laughs> He's a doozy. Yeah, uh, pass on that one. Yeah. yeah you, you, some fights, worth not having. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of things that... Um, you can do with Middle Earth that you say, well, you could do with uh, D&D or any other setting, but there's a certain charm and allure that comes with the token universe and its cosmology that kind of works in its own way. It's not uh, inappropriate to say that it's a bit uh, challenging to run around with characters like Saruman and Gandalf, knowing, of course, that Saruman will turn <laughs> eventually. But at the at the time that we were playing, uh, not necessarily the time that other people are obligated, uh, you know, Saruman was still in the firmly in the camp of uh, you know kicking butt for the cause of good. Uh, <laughs> you know, he had not yet succumbed uh, to Sauron's wiles. Yeah, in one uh, campaign we played, we had to go get a palantir before the forces of the Witch King arrived. Yeah, pluck and, it and uh, uh, deliver that back to uh, Elrond. Where it would be placed in safekeeping uh, in the hands of somebody who was strong enough to resist it. Yes. And uh, the elves being, of course, that kind of timeless, almost unchanging force. They could be trusted to keep to their word. Where the dwarves were also trustworthy in their ways, but they were a little bit more contemptuous of, well, why shouldn't we use it? Yeah. That, but they just don't trust others. A little whiff of greed. Uh, you know, the, it is a great treasure. Mm -hmm. The pride of my horde. Yep. Yeah, uh, not exactly a recipe for things working out incredibly well, but uh, hey, the recurring theme of Tolkien was very much about, you know, people either succumbing to or resisting temptation. Uh, and, you know, just a, just a DM recommendation here. Uh, that's a terrific theme to work with when crafting your own Middle-earth campaign. Uh, if you happen to be hand-building one that is going to incorporate different ele different elements than people would be familiar with in the books, and Middle-earth role-playing does create a terrific template for injecting your own plots and then having the primary well-known characters only brush up against them. Right. Don't make them the, the center uh, of... Like, oh, we're going to play, like, we're going to do a playthrough of the movies. No. Uh, Middle-earth role-playing offers so many more opportunities than that to handwrite a very new little side story that was taking place in the world at, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. along the path. Uh, off to the side, oh, sure, you know, some old wizard and a bunch of dwarves, uh, you know, picked up a hobbit and went on a mission. Uh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, didn't that, uh, they passed through a couple towns over. But we've got other stuff on our hands. Uh, and depending on the DM's writing, 
uh, the missions that your players undertake could be just as important to settling the long-distant goals uh, that would be resolved in The Lord of the Rings as anything that uh, took place in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. So, you know, well worth the investment in time and effort. It is classic, and I'm a big fan of the Temptation theme because it was, it was very much yeah. uh, Tolkien's fingerprint all over it was the, the constant threat that uh, giving in to one's, you know, the, the worst parts of one's own nature uh, led down the path to great sorrow. I liked that. It was probably, to me, one of the, the signal things that came across in every single book. Yeah, and, you know, that theme pervades as well as uh, just exploring the natural world. The world is a wonder. Ooh, you know, the vista. So. so, you know, dust off your thesaurus and also, you know, <laughs> open up a, a copy of the uh, National Geographic of, you know, Icelandic vistas or European continental or uh, just mountain ranges and have at yeah, oh, I don't know. Maybe some pictures of New Zealand. And yeah, and I don't yeah, know yeah, that's there. Yeah, yeah I, well, we, I would be remiss if I didn't mention New Zealand. Oh, it yeah. turned out to be an incredibly <laughs> beautiful place. Yeah, very uh, diverse landscape in that. But, you know, uh, kind of winding it back to a little bit about the uh, Iron Crown Enterprises years, um, I think they had it till about the mid-90s, and they lost it. Uh, for whatever reasons. I think there was a lot of things going on in the background that uh, not everybody knew about, especially with the rumors of a movie being made. Oh, yeah. So uh, they had the Middle Earth introductory box set, which was a nice little set. Uh, came in a little red box and uh, had some uh, Ingus McBride artwork, who was, I think, genetically uh, created just to draw Middle Earth. I remember his... Uh, uh, paintings and drawings on covers of most of the supplements, like his picture of Lothlorien, uh, that beautiful silver color uh, cover, um, the Mordor with that just stark black and red edging on the, bu the book. Those were magnificent uh, products at the time, including a thorough treatment on Moria. Which, again, which was a mega dungeon. I mean, it literally was. Oh, yeah. Uh, welcome to, you know, the Lost... Uh, dwarven city of Moria, uh, with its endless mines that had perhaps gone too deep. Uh, there are darker things than orcs in the depths of the world. In the deep places of the world. Ain't uh, Martin Kevin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh. Yike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That'll send you packing for home. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Balrog's yeah. basically campaign under. <laughs> yeah. Total party kill. What do you mean? What do you mean it just keeps laughing at us as we keep firing bolts into it? Yeah, you, you really... It, it, do you remember all those times I told you, no, this is not where you want to go because you're level three? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, we've only just started this campaign. Don't go to Moria. Like, dude, you've read the books. You know what's in there. Just, I'm, I'm, throwing, it at, I'm throwing it out to you that... You know, may I submit for your inspection the notion that this is not a hot idea? No, yeah. uh, players will have some advanced knowledge of this world, unlike many other gaming encounters. So compensating for that is the one task of the DM. Yeah. However, 
terrific supplements in the early editions of ICEs. Yep. North um, role-playing. Their Rohan, the Plains of Rohan was yeah. excellent. Um, the North with Dunlending and the Wild Hillmen up in there. Just ripe with trolls and adventure and uh, just all sorts of opportunities to get in trouble and just uh, kick over some stones and... Uh, have at at the plots going on with the various kingdoms trying to oh, yeah. coalesce it, under one crown. Worth mentioning, it provided both scenarios, which is the politics that you could engage the players in, uh, and the little dungeoneering side quests. You know, little little light goes off over the bartender's head, and you know you got to ask him about something. Uh, oh, there's been out. rumors of dark stirrings in those hills. Yeah, evil things creep there, and you know go so kick over some. So it was not impossible box. to dungeon bash. Okay, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it it wasn't central to the core concept, but it was present in those books, and so. it was also perilous. Borrow whites are not easily oh, fought. Yeah, you know, without an enchanted weapon, and enchanted weapons don't exactly grow on trees in Middle Earth. Another thing worth mentioning. All the weapons were uh, yeah. meant, uh, made, or ones of note. I mean, there were common or minor enchantments placed on a blade here or there. But, you know, getting those great weapons of power was, you know, if you held one of those, you were pretty good. You're I not going to get Orcrist or Glamdring uh, in every treasure pile, okay? It's just not going to happen. Right, but there are a few weapons of note still lingering about from the old days, so... That's also worth mentioning, too, is that the, the treasures that were provided were often unique and felt attached to the world. I remember there was a turtle helm. There was in one area, you got in, and there was a giant turtle in the bottom. You couldn't get out anymore. Mm. And there was a helm in there that somebody had tried to rest, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, control of it. And, uh, of course, uh, it attracts the attention of Radagast the Brown. Oh, Bravo. It was much different than I envisioned him in The Hobbit, but there you go. Well, yeah, they had quite a different vision in The Hobbit for a number of things, which, hey, hey you yeah. know, we'll talk about the movies some other time, but... Uh, yeah, but, you, you know, know, it was all part where, hey, you know, we talked to Radagast Brown, that kind of guy that wanders around and does stuff. Exactly. And uh, unlike, say, for instance, the film version, uh, you know, as opposed to being a mushroom-addled hippie... Uh, Radagast the Brown is no slouch. Uh, you know. Yeah, he's more connected to the natural world and the movement of nature itself. But uh, not to be trifled with. All of the... Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. He's a wizard of power, and still, the his whole... I mean, the, I think he was the only one I read that had a full uh, iconoclastic uh, outlook where you know, he understood that nature takes no more than it needs. was one of his bywords. Now, and so should you. No. Yeah. But uh, Iron Crown would later pass. I think Cubicle 7 came out with the One Ring role-playing game, which was fun. Uh, there was also one, jeez, uh, uh, the One Ring role-playing, uh, before the One Ring, it was the War of the Ring role-playing game, which uh, came out, which was an excellent supplement, but I never got to play it. Um, they're in the cheap bins at uh, one of the uh, stores. I should look Aww. into those. But I forget who did those, so I can't remember. That's a terrible place for anything of Middle Earth. Yeah. Because uh, very, it, comparatively few variations have been released, okay? This material, as it appears in the books, does not often appear in gaming. Uh, Middle Earth role-playing, uh, in its original editions, really offered the longest-running uh, series of 
uh, campaign supplements mm -hmm. to play in Middle Earth. So, I mean, it's a game that we speak of with probably, you know, the greatest of affection out of all the various incarnations. Um, but yeah. I'm not saying that the more recent ones are absolutely worthless. The War of the Ring uh, picked up a lot what you spoke of earlier uh, in that they offered a lot of side quests that were happening during the film or other areas that you know were off screen giving you the complete freedom as the DM and players to do what you please. Yeah, pick your time, pick your location. How are your players embroiled in these grand events? But uh, the um, Lord of the Rings online game also should get a mention here because they took pretty much the third age that we were playing in and ran with it in a whole new direction. So, I mean, of course, having the scope of a massive online computer game oh, did bravo. help to uh, kind of bring the world to life and some uh, new legends and vistas. I understand Shiob got a different treatment in that one. Did she? Yeah, she was transformed into a spider, but was a some type of elf or something. Oh, my. Yeah. Now there's a sordid fate for an elf to come yeah, to. Yeah, I, I hear... Now, I did my research on this, and I've cracked some books in the similar, you know. Not, I'm not going to pull a Stephen Colbert here. I've read it seven times. I'm, no, quote. I barely managed to get through it the first time, and I only refer to it in parsing when I need to look up something. But there is a connection between Sheol and Loth, of all the things. Oh, well, that makes a certain kind of sense, uh, <laughs> after all. Yeah, spiders are one of the most fierce predators in the insect world. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, we must put a spider in it. I want a huge mechanical spider. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a recurring theme. I mean, spiders are creepy and scary, and Sheob is, you know, a powerful and intelligent ancient spider. Uh, who wouldn't immediately tap that for a dark goddess? That would just... Makes perfect sense. Yeah, so I kind of understand it that way, but I'm you know, I'm not saying that uh, you know Gygax was cribbing notes, but yeah, uh, we would also be remiss if we didn't mention uh, that there is a new uh, Lord of the Rings game. Ooh, you know, uh, forthcoming. Yep, for fifth edition, and it's done by the same people at Cubicle Seven. So you know, fifth edition uh, adapts well to it, and D and D and Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think to just kind of end this up, he's kind of always been uh, married at the hip. There's a, a little too much baked into the d DNA of the cake of Gestalt, I guess, to use a, too much of an analogy here, of how D&D and uh, Tolkien's books interlinked. I mean, it provided the impetus of the adventuring party on an alliance of men, elves, and dwarves of various uh, regions. To right. accomplish a singular goal and pledge to one another. So, I mean, right there is the uh, start of an adventuring party. And, you know, hey, uh, it's not novel in and of itself. It's not that Token completely created this out of whole cloth, as a company has often been mentioned in myth and lore throughout oh, yeah. history. And to the knowledge table with yep. their various unique skills and uh, allegiances uh, and their various temperaments. Uh, you know, the Epic of Lemminkainen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. Thank uh, you. Good one on Lemminkainen. You know, Cattle Raid of Cooley. Yeah. Uh, or the, in in Irish, it would be the Tain Bo Cooley. Or the, uh, just the derivative of the uh, Tales of Arthur is also the Tales of Roland. Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Yep. Uh, so, it, Mr. Tolkien was on some pretty firm ground. Uh, he, too, borrowed from a great many sources. 
uh, in epic myth and legend, and then, you know, combined them into his own beautiful, you know, uh, world that he had developed just to play out this series of events, this, you know, grand morality play, uh, which captured the hearts of a lot of people. And I... Out of all of the Middle-earth releasings, I'm, I'm very happy that there's a little marriage between something closer to the D&D system and Middle-earth role-playing. Yeah. I'm glad that it is still an incarnation that exists, uh, but that does not change my initial affection for the original Middle-earth role-playing game. It yeah, is. I, I would definitely say if I had to really fall into some... Number one with a bullet. Yeah, into playing again in Token's world... I mean, no offense to the new systems. I'm not trying nope, to dismiss nope. them. Not dissing them at all. In fact, I encourage them. I, I think they're terrific. But, but yeah, I would go back and uh, gather up on eBay and other sites and PDFs of uh, Middle-Earth role-playing from Iron Crown Enterprises. They were just exhaustive, and uh, they're incredibly fun to read, as well as to imagine and play in, much like the Forgotten Realms stuff that we were talking about earlier. So hats off to Iron Crown Enterprises and all the other companies that have carried forth Middle Earth on its uh, banner and on their banner and uh, helped us keep connected to what I feel is the original source of our role-playing experience. The roots of gaming, uh, still alive. I mean, sort of an allegory for this very podcast. The the archaic dawn of gaming, still alive and relevant in the modern (laughs) world. Which is our whole thing. It's our whole shtick, man. It's what we do. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, dig them out if you got them. If, uh, I've unfortunately sold most of my stuff, but, uh, you know, nothing is uh, completely ever dead. Oh, absolutely. And so enjoy yourselves, and with that, I think that'll bring us to our end. So we hope you enjoyed our little reminiscence about Middle-Earth role-playing from Iron Crown and other companies. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, if you wish to have, you know, words with us, questions, ideas, thoughts... Mayhem. Mayhem. Uh, you can track us down both on Facebook at the Dicer Screaming, or if you, you can dare. you can haunt the dark halls of Twitter. Follow me on Twitter and <laughs> at Death Hand Gaming. That's D E T H A N D Gaming and Magi Vox uh, at Twitter. That's right. So we hope you all have a good weekend. And without further ado, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.